Welcome to the Health Leaders Podcast, the place for peer-sourced and solution-focused insights for healthcare executives, with new episodes airing every Tuesday. I'm Chris Cheney, and I'm the the Senior Clinical Care Editor for Health Leaders. In today's episode, we will be discussing rural health issues with Paul Gadden, Regional President for Centara Healthcare, who has spent the majority of his career operating hospitals in rural areas. Paul, thanks so much for being here. Uh, It's a pleasure. Um, Thank you for the opportunity to uh, get to converse with you this morning. Let's get into our questions. What are the primary challenges facing rural hospitals and physician practices? Well, there's many of them, Um, but I wanted to start with, you know, what, what what is a rural hospital, you know, in the U.S.? So when you look across the United States, you know, there are almost 5,200 community hospitals in the U.S., and almost 1,800 of them uh, are in rural areas. That's 35% of all hospitals are, are in rural areas. And there's a lot of research out there uh, and statistics, on, and they're really sobering. Um, between 2010 and 2022, 142 rural hospitals closed. And in 21 and 22, it was only six. And that slowdown was only because uh, during the pandemic, our rural hospitals received a lot of financial assistance. But now looking forward, we know that there are across the country 600 rural hospitals at risk of closing in the near future, and 200 are, are at immediate risk. And so, you know, I think this is a, an opportune time to have this discussion. So the primary challenges, there are many, but I grouped them into, into four areas. First is uh, recruiting and retaining talent, you know, staffing challenges from physicians to advanced practitioners, clinical and non-clinical staff. This it, has been a long challenge, a long time, a long-standing challenge, but was definitely exasperated uh, in the last couple of years during the pandemic. You know, statistically, in the U.S., only 10% of physicians practice in rural areas, but the population in rural areas accounts for 14% uh, of all of our uh, population across the country. That's 46 million citizens. Uh, The second area uh, a challenge is low reimbursement. Uh, Majority of rural uh, hospital and and physician clinic uh, revenues come from government payers. Medicare is 50%. Uh, of that, and both Medicare and Medicaid reimburse less than the cost of providing uh, care. Rural hospitals also tend to have to accept lower commercial insurance rates. Um, We have less leverage. Uh, We have lower patient volumes, and so we typically have to accept what a commercial insurer, uh, when we negotiate rates, will give us. If we don't, then they, they they can and sometimes do carve us out of the network. And lastly, uh, is the lack of health insurance coverage uh, in rural areas that results in, in high uncompensated care costs. And where you really see this and where it's very evident is in states where Medicaid expansion um, is not in place. So the statistics I gave you earlier uh, about rural hospitals that closed 75% of those closures happened in states where Medicaid expansion uh, was not in place. 
The third significant challenge that we face is just increasing cost to deliver care. That's not unique to rural, that's just healthcare uh, across the board. Um, increasing staffing costs, increasing outsourced services costs. Um, we don't do everything ourselves. We outsource a lot of things and those costs have increased and just supplies that we use to deliver care. And last uh, challenge that we face is low patient volume. Windshield time, as I call it, or driving is a fact of life in rural communities. Uh, people routinely drive longer distances for work, shopping, and social reasons. And as a result, uh, what we find is many of our community members actually seek their health care outside of where they live, which significantly impacts the smaller facilities uh, where they actually live. So to recap, I see the challenges as staffing and, and recruiting, low reimbursement, increasing cost, and low patient volume. And how can rural hospitals rise to these challenges? Yeah, I think there are a lot of strategies that most of us are employing today. And if we're not, there are things that uh, we should be looking at. So in terms of recruiting and retention, we've got to partner with the local high schools to develop a talent pipeline strategies. Um, this could, could look like um, having internships uh, for clinical and, and non-clinical positions. We, some, some high schools offer a, a health sciences program and some don't, but um, hospitals uh, and health systems, physician clinics, you know, it we, we hire a lot of different types of uh, uh, positions. And so I think creating that pipeline is important. Uh, partner with medical schools, um, I think for rural communities, in particular, uh, a DO program. So the osteopathic schools participate as a site for medical student rotations. Uh, even consider being a, a site for a rural track residents. You know, the DO schools tend to when those residents um, finish their, their schooling and their programs, uh, really uh, tend to look for opportunities in underserved and rural markets. Uh, partner with local nursing schools and be a site for student rotations is extremely important. We have to access uh, a number of federal and state programs that incentivize clinicians to work in rural areas, um, sponsor international um, medical graduates who have been grant, granted a J-1 visa uh, to complete uh, its, you know, their medical residency programs. I think there are some creative things that we can do around loan, loan repayment strategies, you know, in return for a multi-year commitment uh, to the organization and to the community. And we really have to get our entire community involved in recruiting and retention strategies. We have to remember many of our uh, clinicians and uh, our staff, they have families. And so we're not just recruiting one person, we may be recruiting and trying to retain an entire family. And then we have to be flexible in our compensation packages, the benefits we offer, the schedules uh, that, that we offer our, our employees to fill. And, and lastly, telemedicine uh, is a great option uh, to help increase access if we're unable to recruit certain specialties. Uh, and the reimbursement front, you know, there we have to really uh, explore and assess all the federal rural programs. There are a lot out there. So um, many of our rural hospitals across the country are critical access. 
um, they have that that status, and so um, that reimbursement model uh, helps them. There is a newer model that's um, come out called the Rural Emergency Hospital Model, the REH. It allows uh, struggling inpatient facilities to uh, partner with a tertiary health system and convert their they convert themselves into an outpatient and an emergency room only facility, which may be um, a best option for some communities. The Medicare dependent hospital and low volume adjustment uh, models and then the rural health clinics are, are all um, programs that need to be assessed uh, by all uh, rural community hospitals. And then we have to do a lot in the advocacy space for reimbursement change. Um, we're facing the uh, rural health clinic payment cuts. I think uh, we need to advocate for um, permanently extending the existing rural and super rural ambulance add-on payments. It's very important, particularly when we're trying to transfer our community members from a rural facility to a tertiary hospital if they need um, that um, higher level of care. And I think another uh, great thing to advocate for would be to remove the 96-hour physician certification requirements for critical access hospitals. That would allow us to care for some patients um, more than 96 hours, uh, which would um, actually help uh, increase the census in hospitals and allow them to be more viable. In terms of uh, increasing uh, care delivery cost, you know, the cost to deliver care, our workforce is the most important and valuable and also largest investment on the income statement. Thus, we have to double down on recruiting and retention strategies to uh, keep that cost down. I think we have to uh, explore uh, the concept of purchasing supplies from a, a larger health system in, in our region. You know, so maybe it's the tertiary partner for that rural hospital, see if they can join their group purchasing organization. I think you have to look at integrating and affiliating with other larger health systems. And uh, I encourage you know, outsourcing whatever services the hospital doesn't provide themselves to local uh, businesses, local trusted partners. In terms of patient volume, uh, gotta continue to provide exceptional experience and care, be efficient and available. Um, so we, we continue to build and increase the loyalty to receive healthcare local instead of leaving the community. We need the town and county officials uh, to help advocate for community members to stay local, uh, get your community local. And definitely lots of opportunity to partner with the federally qualified health centers that are in many of our rural communities. And um, as a hospital, we, as a rural hospital, we can uh, be their partner in their uh, acute care to meet their acute care needs of the community members that, that access the the QHCs. I already spoke briefly about advocacy, but that's very important for um, um, all hospitals and health systems, particularly rural ones, to be involved at the state level and if they have the resources at the federal level. Engage your political representative, your political representatives to advocate for rural health care at the state and federal level. Um, we need to protect 340B programs, a very important federal drug program um, that um, rural community hospitals absolutely depend on, as well as, as, well as urban hospitals. And then um, decisions on what services to offer. Um, make data-driven decisions, not emotional ones, or based on what we've always done in the past. Understand the community, 
know where they work, where they shop, where they spend their leisure time, understand the demographics, forecast out three, five, 10 years, and um, then determine what the needs are for the community, not just today, but tomorrow, and then decide based on the resources you have, how can you serve as many community members as possible? Because that's where we are today, looking at the challenges in rural healthcare, is um, we can't be everything to everyone, so we have to be really good at fewer things and, and provide it to as many of the community members as we can. Excellent. What are the primary strengths of rural hospitals? You know, the data is out there. You can look on the CMS websites on the value-based purchasing, under value-based purchasing, that rural and smaller hospitals in general perform better in safety, person and community engagement, efficiency and cost reduction. So we provide exceptional care, um, even though we're very small. Um, it's access close to home for emergent and non-emergent needs. When a rural hospital closes, um, on average, that community member needs to travel between 30 and 45 minutes further than they were traveling to receive that emergent care. We know that impacts, can impact health outcomes. Clinicians and staff members know their patients, their families, and as such, the ability to really tailor uh, their care plans. We know better if we think um, they're gonna be able to achieve the goals that we set them, set upon them. Uh, we're a trusted partner, and you know, I can't, we can't overlook the economic impact that healthcare has in the rural communities. You know, the AHA um, in 2020 um, did a, uh, an assessment and that, that came out that $220 billion in economic activity occurred in rural settings. And so if you were to straight line that and did an average across the almost eight 1,500 uh, rural hospitals, that is $120 million of economic activity annually in each one of those communities. And I can actually validate that um, because we in Centera um, have, have two, we have a couple of facilities that are in rural markets. And one of the ones that I oversee, we just got the 2021 economic impact report back two weeks ago and it was valued at $151 million. So pretty close um, to what the AHA was, was saying if I use that average. And then I think the other um, strength we have is just, um, you know, with uh, fewer resources, um, we have to get very innovative and creative with our staffing models and, and the mix of the clinical staff that we use to deliver care. And we've done that uh, across the country um, in rural facilities. But as I said in the first bullet, we did not compromise quality or experience of care um, by being innovative. And so I think actually we have a lot to teach the rest, um, all the other hospitals uh, in the country, rural and urban alike. Great. How can rural hospitals capitalize on some of these strengths? Yeah, given the um, high quality outcomes, um, the efficiency and, and the, the cost value proposition that I 
uh, spoke to earlier in rural hospitals and physician practices, we have to use that, that data and that information to advocate at the state and federal level for more innovative reimbursement models and other fiscal financial protections. We should be data-driven, and I think that that data will prove that we need to help protect um, rural health care. Rural communities um, are going to continue to wither away if significant employers, such as health care providers, are, are not there. And so I think it's, it's vital to rural communities across the country that um, health care remains local um, and that we figure out a way through state, federal um, ways to help protect it. It's not their job to save it, but we do need the state and federal governments to, to help us. And then uh, lastly, um, because of that, we're that trusted partner. Um, we need to galvanize the community to support getting healthcare local. They may shop and work outside uh, of their community, that's very likely, but come home and support your local healthcare um, where you live. So I think that's how we can best capitalize on those strengths. Excellent. How can telemedicine be used in rural health? Well, we've certainly been using it uh, a little bit for a long time. And then uh, during the pandemic, it exploded uh, the use of telemedicine and we learned a lot about it and we need to continue to do it. We certainly can use it for primary care virtual visits. I think there are, there are certainly uh, patient remote monitoring options out there. Um, we can certainly, you know, another form of telemedicine is just the electric medical record messaging platform where you can send a message to your um, clinician um, asking them questions. And then I think uh, what's really important is whoever, most rural facilities, if they're part of a large health system, then um, they, they have the critical mass uh, of specialists, maybe in the urban area that they're associated with. If they're a standalone facility, most uh, facilities, all facilities have to have a tertiary partner. And so it's partnering with that health system or that partner to gain access to specialists. Rather than our community members having to drive to the specialist, bring the specialist to the community using uh, telemedicine. Uh, we do it today successfully and pretty robustly uh, with mental health professionals. Albeit, we all know that, that there's still not enough resources in the mental health, behavioral health space, but you know, every little bit helps. We do it pretty, uh, we do it very uh, routinely with neurology, particularly for stroke care. You're seeing it spreading uh, pretty significantly for critical care, endocrinology, dermatology, pediatrics, and the list goes on. And so um, I think that's the, the greatest use of telemedicine for us in rural health is gaining access. Uh, to specialists that we ultimately really can't afford uh, to have in the rural community, or even if we could, be very um, challenging to recruit and retain. As you've noted, many rural hospitals have closed over the past decade. What is the impact on communities when rural hospitals close? Yeah, I think it's, uh, there are many impacts, and, and two of them I, I spoke to, so I'll, I'll reiterate those. First, it's the 
um, overall financial impact or economic impact on that community. Um, that you know will absolutely harm and deteriorate um, the other social determinants of health. You know, which is where you live, where you play, where you eat, where you get educated. And um, that will continue to um, erode at the very fabric um, uh, of rural healthcare. I think the other uh, significant impact is just um, health outcomes. If, 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 if access becomes a barrier, community members um, will, will not seek care um, if it's not easy. Uh, and once they do seek care, it'll be once they are extremely sick and ill. And then the outcomes will just not be as good. So the preventative medicine, the preventative care, um, without rural health care, um, those barriers get higher and higher, and ultimately the health outcomes will suffer. And I believe in my mind, uh, in my heart, that overall health care cost will continue to rise across the country if we don't support um, rural health care. Paul, it's been wonderful talking with you. And you as well, and really appreciate the opportunity to um, you know, advocate for, for rural health care and, and share my perspectives and my opinions. So thank you very much. And thank you for listening to the Health Leaders Podcast.